Hi, I'm Perry. And I'm Lindsay. And welcome welcome to the the Baked Potato Podcast. Podcast. This is the podcast where we discuss true crime, cults, and the like. We just happen to be stoned while doing it. Today's episode explores supposedly cursed movie productions and the tragedies behind them. So grab your green and let's get baked. Today we'll be smoking Green Dream, which is a combination of Green Crack and Blue Dream. First of all, we're going to tell you what Leafly has to say about green crack. Don't let the name fool you. This is pure cannabis. Few strains compare to green crack's sharp energy and focus as it introduces an invigorating mental buzz that keeps you going throughout the day. With a tangy fruit flavor and dolent of mango, Green Crack is a daytime strain that may help consumers fight fatigue, stress, and depression. And for the other half, Blue Dream is a sativa dominant hybrid originating in California, and it's achieved legendary status among West Coast strains. Crossing blueberry with haze, Blue Dream balances full body relaxation with gentle cerebral invigoration. Novice and veteran consumers alike enjoy the effects of Blue Dream, which ease you gently into a calm euphoria. With the sweet berry aroma redolent of its blueberry parent, Blue Dream delivers swift symptom relief without heavy sedative effects. This makes Blue Dream a popular daytime medicine for patients treating pain, depression, nausea, and other ailments requiring a high THC strain. Mix those two together, and that is what we are going to yeah. add. So we will schmirkamer and be right back. We are back and we are baked. And I'm about to tell you about one of the most cursed horror films, The Omen. First of all, Lindsay, do you know much about um, The Curse of the Omen? I, I do. I know points. About it, um, I know that Gregory Peck and is it Mace Newfeld, one of the producers, that they had a lot of bad luck during the movie. Yes, actually, uh, Gregory Peck lost his son two months prior uh, to the shooting of the film. Um, his son shot himself, and Gregory Peck felt like he just had to do this movie because it was. A movie about a son and a father, but at the end, you know, he has to kill his son. So yeah, that so it ends up being harder. Yeah, that would have been really hard to do. Yeah, especially when you just lost one. Right. Because I know we wanted to work through it through that, but that definitely causes some hardships. Yeah. They were actually filming in London at the time. I believe the year was 1973. 1973. Okay, my bad. And um, there was... Wait, was it 73 or 76? Was The Exorcist 73? 
I want to say it was 76. I want to say 73 or 76. Let's. You are correct. It is 1976. <laughs> That's what I thought. During the filming, uh, was a very like time of turmoil for London. This was during the one of the IRA's bombing campaigns. It was a little bit of history on the IRA. Um, it's the Irish Republican Army, and they were active against Britain in the 70s. London was their main target since this was the center of attention in England, and they felt attacks would cause more pressure on the public and government. So their bombing campaign in London was from 1973 onwards. Um, they started off in 1973. There were a total of 36 bombings that year. And I don't have the number for 1976, but they were still actively bombing during that time. And during the filming of the Omen... <laughs> um, I cannot talk today. The Omen. The Omen. During the filming of the Omen... <laughs> During the filming of The Omen, what was he? A produ <laughs> producer. Newfeld? Producer, yeah. Producer Newfeld, Mace. Mace Newfeld, was staying at the Hilton London, but then it was blown up by the IRA. Days later, Newfeld, another producer named Bernard something or other, and a couple of film executives. And Gregory Peck, I think, was on his way, too. I think they were all going to dinner together. Were they all? Yeah, I'm pretty together? sure Gregory... I think Gregory Peck was on his way to that one, too. Oh, okay. Well, while they were on their way to lunch, the restaurant they were going to got blown up by the IRA. So, that was crazy. Yeah. Also... Mace Newfeld and Gregory Peck were both almost struck by lightning. Yeah, they were. And planes? Yes. Or, yeah, they're yeah. planes worse. They're planes worst. <laughs> Dude, and then a few weeks later, an executive producer on his way to L.A. was struck by lightning. Yeah, so there were a total of two during and one after production. Yeah. Of people who, their planes got struck by lightning. And then there was another producer who narrowly escaped. He, like, almost was struck by lightning while filming in Rome. So that's a count of four, but only two were actually struck. Yeah, and during the production, and they were on their way to do filming. Yeah. Also, the animal handler who... Do you remember that scene with the baboons? Yes. Where they all come out and they, like, and attack... And they're terrified. The, yeah, they attack the car and stuff. Because well, Damien set yeah. them off. <laughs> because, oh, I don't know, like, monkeys don't like the devil or some shit. <laughs> yeah. That animal handler was later on, after the film was done filming, was killed shortly afterwards by a tiger. It was, he was mauled to death. The animal Which handler is an awful was. way to go. Yeah. Well, I, I take that back because the either director or producer, whoever made the comment on it, they said he was killed instantly, so I guess it's not a terrible way. Like, he didn't suffer, at least. Well, that's, that's yeah, good to he know. He just, like, got his throat ripped out or something. That's not too bad, then. I mean, I figured, like, getting, like, a killed by a tiger, like, I mean, you might feel pain for a second, but, yeah, I feel like you'd bleed out pretty, almost instantly, like you'd be dead. Like, yeah. yeah, they said he was killed instantly, so at least 
at least we have that. <laughs> at least we can rest in peace knowing that the animal handler who was mauled by a tiger was killed shortly. Yes. <laughs> we um, here at BPP are all about finding the positives in the darkness. <laughs> we are also against animal cruelty, by the way. 100%. <laughs> so, let me just add that in there. I think we add that to all of our podcasts. And yeah. I'm not exactly sure why. Well, usually we're talking well, about... Because usually, to yeah, usually people who kill other people start with animals, right? And it, we we skip over the details of that because it makes us sad. <laughs> so back to the omen. Uh, we're going to be talking about John Richardson, who is a special effects artist who was responsible for the effect of the decapitation scene in the movie mm-hmm. you know Where what i'm talking a, about yeah there's a car wreck and then it's like a store glass or something some window glass decapitates them after the car wreck exactly john richardson while filming in holland with his girlfriend liz moore on Friday the 13th, wrecked, and his girlfriend was decapitated. Ooh. And this was after they had already made that scene and everything. It was just Correct. a horrible they were, coincidence. They were making a bridge too far in Holland, and yeah, they, they were driving, and it just happened to be Friday the 13th. Yeah. And he, the story more of the curse behind the movie is his, he claims that when he got out of the wreckage, like when he got out of the car, he saw a sign for the town of Omen, which is O-double-M-E-N, and that it said 66.6 kilometers. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. But I don't believe that part because I have never heard of a sign with decimals on it. (laughs) <laughs> I've never heard of that either. But, of course, we don't live in... In the Netherlands. Holland. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, they could have, you know, like... I think it's bullshit. Yeah. But you're right. We don't know. We should ask... So we should make friends with some... Dutch people. Dutch people. <laughs> yes. And find out, do you have decimals on your Dutch signs? <laughs> the last fact that I have, our thrilling enthrallment in the saga of the Curse of the Omen, is a plane which was ordered for the film crew got changed at the last minute, and that plane crashed and killed everyone on it. Ooh. So they escaped a doomed plane and two bombings from the IRA. Yes. Multiple lightnings trying to take down the planes. I'll tell you one thing, people. Satan does not want his movies to be made. (laughs) (laughs) Or does he? He's promoting it. Because more people suck, because they're like, oh, it's a cursed movie. I think Satan's good at PR. I think he's he's just good at marketing. And he's like, hey, I got this film. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, there's a couple starring her. You, you want to see your, you want to see your boy in a movie? <laughs> hey, I got some uh, stuff to show you. Yeah, that is all that I had on the omen. Do you have anything to add? I sure don't. But after we schmuck another bowl, I can tell you all about The Exorcist. 
Sounds good to me. We're back and we're baked. And I'm going to tell you about The Exorcist. Yay! I can't wait to hear about that. That's one of my favorite movies of all time. Yes, that's why I did it. (laughs) The Exorcist had made... Okay, so it is known for being like a cursed movie, like The Omen. It's one of those famously cursed ones. Rosemary's Baby, The Omen, The Poltergeist Trilogy, and The Exorcist are like the four big cursed movies. Yeah, right. Um, And also, in more recent years, The um, Passion of the Christ. (laughs) (laughs) So the Jesus curse. (laughs) Jesus doesn't want his movies to be made either, people. And his shit was more personal, too. Like, Jim Caviezel had a lot of personal injury. Well, he did have a lot of personal injuries, but so did Linda Blair and Ellen Burstyn, so. Jim Caviezel, both him and A.D. Joan Michelini, were struck by lightning. Neither were injured, but Jim Caviezel... Uh, suffered hypothermia, pneumonia. Jesus Christ. A shoulder delocation. Literally. And (laughs) was accidentally whipped. He was really whipped. I was going to say ripped because we're so baked. (laughs) He was really ripped. He was the European white ripped Jesus that our art depicts. Don't make a movie about Jesus or... Satan. Satan. Unless it's Fatty on the bus or Fatty drives the bus. Oh, we have got to watch this sometime. Fatty drives the bus is about a a movie about like Satan who's driving a tour bus and like (laughs) Jesus has to like find the tour bus and like stop Satan from killing all these people. It's a trauma movie. It's terrible. But it's so good and so close to my heart. Like I gotta write that down. Fatty drives the bus. Fatty drives the bus. I have never And heard we'll that. have to look up curses about that movie now, Lindsay. To <laughs> see Fatty Drives the Bus was cursed. Yeah, to see if Fatty Drives the Bus had any curses. But okay. Back to the Exorcist. Oh yeah. The Exorcist changed a lot of our culture in America, not just as far as like movies are concerned and the horror genre, which um, because of how well the Exorcist did in movie theaters, that is why movies like The Omen and Poltergeist in later years. That's why they were allowed to have big budgets. Right. Because The Exorcist made so much money. There were so many stories of, like, curses, you know, tied to The Exorcist production that there's actually an E! True Hollywood story on it, and it's two hours long. Oh, (laughs) wow! I'd like to watch that. We need to watch that together. I watched part of it. In the E! True Hollywood story, Linda Blair was talking about the like trauma that she went through obviously the psychological trauma because she was 12 when she shot this movie and like Ellen Burstyn who played her mom Mm -hmm. Reagan's mom in the movie they both got back injuries from the prop or well they're not props what are they called the effects like the practical effects right right Mm -hmm. and when Ellen Burstyn hit her back they the reason why they say that was like part of the curse is because the guy who pulled the string said he didn't pull it that hard for her to fall that hard And the scream in the movie is genuine. That is her screaming out in pain. But she, so people have said a demon pushed her 
that that's why she fell so hard. So, nice. Yeah, so apparently there's a demon pushing her. Linda Blair got a lot of death threats from churches saying she was glamorizing Satan. Oh, wow. Like, how fucked up is your credo that you're going to send letters to a child saying these things? (laughs) People, especially church people, have lots of balls when it comes to shit like that. Like, they will go off. Yeah, the evangelical Christian sect, that is the ones who are dedicated to spreading their message. Yeah. (laughs) And it's like, nobody wants to hear that shit. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) And if you do want to hear it, that's fine. But pretty sure if somebody wants to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, they would seek it out. And they wouldn't be listening to this podcast. (laughs) That's for hella sure. (laughs) Because Perry likes to say fuck a lot. (laughs) What? We are also (laughs) (laughs) I'll I'll try it since these make me sneeze instead of cough. (laughs) I was going to say sipping on, but we are also choking on a THC extract vape, a little cartridge that is from Blue Dream, and it tastes so good. (laughs) It tastes like blueberries. It tastes like straight up blueberries. It is Mm -hmm. so good. It is a happy stick. It's a hybrid, I believe. Yeah, it is, because Blue Dream is a hybrid. Yeah. They're awesome. It's 86.74% THC, and it's beautiful. Yes. Uh, But we are hitting on that as we're recording as well. Oh, The Exorcist. Yes. The Exorcist had a big cultural impact on America, not only for, like, what we were talking about a few minutes ago, like, funding horror films and everything, but also as far as people's personal beliefs. I know this affected Perry. (laughs) This affected you directly. But also, American-wise, I forgot I had the statistic, and I lost... (laughs) My source words, I don't my remember. Bad. <laughs> I gave Perry my notes. <laughs> <laughs> FYI, don't trust Perry with your notes. <laughs> I did have a statistic. 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 Yes, I had one of those. And the percentage of Americans who believed in a literal Satan, like a literal devil, before and after 1973 when the Exorcist movie came out, and also the book was 71, so leading up to that, there was a huge difference. Like, it made people believe in a literal devil. And it also turned Ouija boards from a fun Milton Bradley game that people can play into people believing it's an actual portal to demons and hell and the other side. Yeah. Which which is what you're traumatized by. I was going to say, because I watched The Exorcist at a very young age, and so, like, from a very young age, I was like, you will never play with a Ouija board. You will get possessed by the devil, even though you don't believe in that shit. Like, you don't believe in God or the devil. I mean, or heaven or hell. 
It still terrifies you. I'm 36 years old now, and I've still never played with a Ouija board. (laughs) Knock on wood, I probably won't. I'm not afraid of it. I I don't know. I just can't get over it. I think it's... I think I still have a lot of that church guilt from, Mm -hmm. you know, like... Yeah. We, a lot of people have that from when you're younger and you have religion thrown in your face a lot, and then you grow up and you might not agree with the religion you were brought up with. And so forming your own beliefs and stuff, there's a lot of that. I have a lot of that residual guilt too when you think about like different stuff. I don't know what happens after, but I don't think Ouija boards are going to hurt me. <laughs> I don't Sorry, believe in a literal thing. It's okay. You're allowed to be scared. I'm by the devil. I don't. <laughs> I can't. Hail Satan. I can't handle it. And I got my tube side, so Nick cannot <laughs> rosemary baby me, which we will be talking about later on. Yes, we'd just like to make an announcement. Perry is no longer able to bring forth the Antichrist. So Yes. <laughs> so if that shit comes to fruition, it was not of my doing. Fruition. Fruition is what happens to my hair and humidity. I used to call it fromission, so just I was a little bit closer. <laughs> Me alright with that. It's okay. We can call it fruition. Fruition? Fru- yeah. Whatever you called it. I used to call it fruition. <laughs> fruitation. And, For the record, fruitation is the word Shane we're talking about. And would always about. be like, what the fuck are you talking about? And then like, he'd say it the right way. I still, I can't say it the right way. I don't know. Fruition? Fruit. Fruit? Wish. Wishin. Fruition. Hey, there you go. Hey, I did it. Now I'm like, wait, is it fruition or fruitation? What are we talking about? I don't remember the original word. Um, by the way, a lot of this podcast is Lindsay teaching me English because <laughs> it is not my first language. I think you are so close to mastering English. It's been 36 years. I should have uh, mastered it by now, but... Uh, it takes time. We got a pre-roll joint from the local dispensary. And I love pre-rolled joints because they are ready to go. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> that is my also my favorite thing about a pre-rolled joint, Lindsay, is that <laughs> they are ready to go. And the one we've got today is Cookie Puss, which is, it was originally bred by Jinx Proof Genetics, and it's a hybrid of Cat Piss and GSC, which is Girl Scout cookies. So some of the most appetizing. <laughs> I know, that sounds disgusting. I'm like, I've got Girl cat, Scout cookies. Cat Piss and Girl Scout cookies. Mmm, <laughs> children. So a big, tight, resinous buds offer sweet and earthy aromas with notes of lime and pine to jump out of the bag and into your senses. Keep your eyes peeled because some phenotypes have beautiful pink flowers. Cookie Puss offers a soothing experience. Oh, I'm excited to smoke that. It doesn't, uh, it actually does smell good. It doesn't smell like cat piss, for the record. Yeah, Yeah, that smells good. Of course, we can't see the beautiful flowers when it's already rolled into a joint. But we're going to enjoy this and then come back and tell you about some more movie curses. We're back and we're baked. And we're still talking about The Exorcist. (laughs) 
Which isn't a bad thing because it's a really great movie. It, it is. It is. I love that movie. One of the most memorable things from that movie, aside from the Ouija board usage, is the part where uh, the demon's speaking through Raven. Raven? <laughs> Reagan. That's so Raven. <laughs> that was so Raven. Yeah. <laughs> no. Is where the demon, Pazuzu, is speaking through the demon. God damn it. <laughs> One of the most memorable scenes from the movie is when the demon, Pazuzu, is speaking through the little girl, Raven. Reagan. You were so close. That was so good. <laughs> I was I sitting here in suspense. So remember when she's all like, Your mother's ex cock in hell. Yeah. That was Pazuzu, <laughs> the demon. <laughs> Speaking through Reagan. That was by a voiceover actress um, who was previously a radio actress, Madeline McCambridge. Oh, okay. Whose name is not Madeline. God damn it, her name is Mercedes. <laughs> I gave you the thumbs up, man. Mercedes McCambridge started out as a radio actor. She went into film and won an Oscar for her role in All the King's Men in 1949. So she was already famous you right. know, and an acclaimed actress before The Exorcist. Okay. So then she went on to voice the demon Pazuzu in The Exorcist. This story is about her only son. John Markle. It's going to sound a bit redundant. John was Mercedes' only son. <laughs> well, you know what? I had forgotten already that he just said that he was her only son, so... Perfect. John was Mercedes' only son, born in Hollywood on Christmas Day, 1941. Mm. His father, William Fitfield, was married to Mercedes until 1946. Uh, so when he was five... And then they got divorced. She remarried Fletcher Markle in 1950, and John took on his stepfather's surname as a child. So he was John Markle from a young age. Uh, he grew up in the spotlight, as he was only eight when his mother won an Oscar. Oh, wow. So he was a little kid. It's like to, which I know this was the golden age of Hollywood. It was definitely different back then. Right. The And we don't have as big of stars as we used to, because people have learned not to, like, worship other people. Right. <laughs> to an extent. Now it's, we have, like... Well, actually, There's like, so many stars to choose from. There, yeah. It used to be everyone had one, or, you know, three channels. Yeah. Everyone's watching the same show. Now there are so many different mediums you can get content through. So there's so many different... Someone's a star to everyone. You know, that type thing. Yeah. But this was back in the golden age of Hollywood, in the 40s into the 50s, you know. This was when it was very like, oh, I'm a movie star. So he grew up as a very famous actress's child. By 1987, he was married with two children and living in Little Rock, Arkansas. He had a PhD from UCLA and was an investment account trader. In October of 87, his company caught him in a huge embezzling scheme. So he had been secretly trading accounts and putting the profits in an account under his mother's name without her knowledge. And he was confronted at work and placed on medical leave until he was ultimately fired on Friday the 13th of November. So we've got another Friday the 13th oh, story. Nice. That weekend. So at 4 a.m. on November 16th, 1987. Oh, 
You know what else happened at 4 a.m.? Mm. William Friedkin. The, yeah. The guy who made the movie. He got a call from the fire department at 4 a.m. when the set for The Exorcist caught on fire. And he had, um, it was on fire, he went up, and one of the things that made this story so big is everything burned down except for Reagan's room, the set for her bedroom. Oh, and wow. So That's everything crazy. else. Yeah, everything else was burned down. And when he was telling the story about this, he said they had a lot of refrigeration units because the breath they, they're breathing in it, that's real. Right. He wanted it, like, freezing yeah. in there. That something had happened with the refrigeration units. They caught on fire, burned the sets down. They were in the same building, but Reagan's bedroom was separate from the rest of the house set. So uh, well, it's not so, so like... It's not so much like Satan protected that room, or it's more like they just weren't connected. (laughs) You lie. Satan was protecting that room. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He was there. (laughs) But his call was at 4 a.m. to learn about that. And now back to my other story about John Markle. (laughs) At 4 a.m. on November 16th, 1987, Markle's attorney, Richard Lawrence, which I gave him a nickname, Dick Law, because So he received a call at 4 a.m. John asked Richard to come to his house and without warning hung up. Richard called back twice, but no one answered, so he called the police. By the time police and his attorney arrived at 4.17 a.m., so it was only 17 minutes after that call. Right. They found John dead from a self-inflicted gunshot wound in his study. Oh, shit. He had... Well, excuse us while Potato knocks everything off. <laughs> Shush. He had two guns beside him, as well as a Halloween mask spattered with blood. And it was an old man Halloween mask. Yeah. Within a few minutes. Actually, you have a very similar mask at your house. It looks Probably, just like... Yeah, it it's looks called just the Caesar. Like, yeah, it looks it's just a, like yours. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, it made me think of you when I saw the crime scene photos. <laughs> oh, great. Yeah. I love being thought of when looking at crime scene photos. Hey. Yeah, hey. <laughs> Within a few minutes, they discovered the bodies of his wife, Chris, who was 45, and both of his daughters... Suzanne, who was nine, and Amy, who was 13. God damn, so he went on a killing spree. Mm -hmm. They had all been shot to death. 16 additional guns were found throughout the house, but only three were used in the murders and suicide. Jesus. Yeah. Police believe Markle wore the Halloween mask when he shot his daughters. Aww. All of the bodies were found to have Elaville, which is amitriptyline, in their systems. It's an antidepressant that causes drowsiness. I've actually been on it for migraines a few times growing up. They had, they all had that in their systems, so they're thinking that he drugged them all and then wore the mask, I guess, in case they weren't asleep or, you know, so they don't know their dad's the one killing them. Oh. I don't know, like, is, is that better? Is that sparing them anything or is that terrifying them more, thinking, oh my God, someone just broke in and murdered me? Like, which is more terrifying? Yeah. After massacring his family, he killed himself with two pistols, one in each temple. 
So that's why there are two guns beside him. He used one gun to kill his family and then two different guns to kill himself. John left a suicide note acknowledging that he killed his family. He dated at 2.30 a.m. November 16th, 1987, about an hour and a half before he called his attorney. So he had killed them, sat down, wrote his suicide note. He also changed his will days before to a handwritten one that didn't mention his wife and children. So he had been planning this. He left a 10-page long letter for his mother, claiming she was inattentive and uncaring. Oh, shit. Yeah, he blamed his murder-suicide on his mother. It also made clear that she had no knowledge of his shady business dealings. He just used her name. It was, I guess, kind of a, like, fuck you, you know. Yeah. Mercedes has never publicly commented on it, as she refuses to. So, which I understand, if your child did that and then blamed you, yeah, I'd be I mean, like, none of your goddamn business. That was one of the real-life tragedies behind the supposed curse and the oh, exorcist. wow, that's really sad. Yeah. That's super sad. Yeah. That's so. an entire family massacred. I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. I mean, it was a good story. I mean. Yeah. It's just, that was one that I was like, holy shit, I didn't know that had been, but that was part of the curse of it. Well, uh, you want to, uh, talk a little bit more about some, uh, True, uh, you can do it. True, real life tragedies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she picked up a book called Human Monsters, which is unrelated to anything we're talking about. I thought maybe I could get inspiration. I thought maybe, I thought maybe inspiration. When we come back, we will talk about. Real life tragedy surrounding real life movies. <laughs> that was pretty good. I get what you meant. We're back in the bait. And a little bit tipsy. <laughs> Old Slur Kane over here has had a couple of cervezas. Cervezas! <laughs> but you can't say fruition. <laughs> I can't help it if I don't know how to speak. English. You you do know it's just speaking it well is where you struggle. <laughs> true that. Very true. Excuse any kid cat noises in the background. Harley Quinn is hunting down Madeline today, so there's that. Maddie. Oh but don't eat plastic. Why do cats want to eat plastic? I don't understand. You done with it, Maddie? It's just like, hell no. <laughs> What's wrong with that? I don't see the problem. Did you want to finish uh, the couple of notes oh. that you had on the exorcist really quick before I start talking about Rosemary's Baby? Or? Yeah. Uh, while I was busy making fun of Perry for <laughs> being traumatized as a young child, I forgot to mention that a big part of the exorcist was it was marketed as a true story. <laughs> So that is why it was so scary, because it was like, this really happened. They just played with the Ouija board, and then the demons came. And that's what I thought. I mean, <laughs> apparently I still think that, but, you know, what have you. It's a good movie, and another true fact about 
that movie. My favorite facts are true. What was the last true fact? Oh, the after the set fires, they actually had a real priest come out and bless the set to make sure that, you know, they didn't have any more incidences. <laughs> Well, but tell me about the Rosemary's Baby because that all has... All right. Yes. I've been really excited to talk about Rosemary's <laughs> Baby because a lot of you out there think it's a, kind of a snoozer, but this is one of my favorite films of all oh, time. Nick's Rosemary's Baby is a snoozer. Nick's sister was not impressed by that movie at all. And I was like, how can you not be? I like, love that movie. I know, like, something unlucky happened to every single person on that set. Like, including, like, the least harsh being Mia Farrow being served with... Divorce uh, papers? Divorce papers, yeah, from Frank Sinatra. That was the least of the uh, worst parts one of the worst parts was 37-year-old Christoph Komita. Sources of his death are scarce, but Polanski told it in the way of... In the autumn of 68, Komita, the composer of the theme song for Rosemary's Baby, was roughhousing and fell off a rocky embankment into a coma. And he never regained consciousness, and he died the following year in Poland. Uh Yeah. So. I have have two things for that. One is, that was in August of 68, right? Yes. And then August of 69 had another event related to it. Yes. I think that's interesting. My second thing is... This may be in poor taste, but all I can think is coma, 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 coma. <laughs> and yes, but that is also hilarious. So, and and quick whip. <laughs> You're so quick for a stoner. <laughs> well, unlike slow whip over here, it is like. <laughs> learning how to read for the first time like a newborn pig <laughs> or baby or some other type of mammal that reads. Well, I remember go my young days on the farm when the pig started to read. <laughs> I remember telling... Charlotte's Web. The pig reads the spider web, so... I remember telling one of my teachers that I had a pig, and she believed me, and then one year, like, I wasn't her student anymore, and it was, like, in elementary school, and she was like, whatever happened to your pig? And I was like, oh, it died. (laughs) But I kept that up for a long time. Like, that bitch thought I had a pig for a long time. Like... Hashtag Paris pig. Yeah. Hashtag year of the pig is over. Now it's the year of the dog, I believe. Is 2020 the year of the dog? I don't don't know. I think so. Yeah. Here, you tell me more about Rosemary's Baby and I'll look that up and let you know. Okay. In 1969, producer William Castle made himself sick with worry because of all the hate mail he was getting. 
Getting. Getting. He was stricken with severe kidney stones <laughs> while in the hospital. Okay. In 1969, producer William Castle made himself sick with worry because of all the hate mail he was getting. He was stricken with severe kidney stones. While at the hospital, he had hallucinations of the movie. He did recover, but he never made another movie again. Oh. Yeah. I found the answer for the Chinese Zodiac. It's... 2020 is the year of the rat. <laughs> oh, okay. The year of the dog is before the year of the pig because last year was the year of a pig and I'm a pig. Oh, okay. I think, and, I don't remember. Mine's like a snake or a lizard, I think. Oh. It's a reptile. This year is the year of the metal rat starting January 25th, 2020, Chinese New Year. Uh-huh. So, hell yeah. The metal rat year. <laughs> and live. And then, of course, we all know of Polanski's fate with the murder of his wife, Sharon Tate. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, one of the last things that I have, the Dakotas, where the uh, filming took place, is famous for where John Lennon got shot. He was oh, the shot. Dakota! The building! Yeah! Okay. I thought you meant like North and South Dakota, because you said the Dakotas. Oh, <laughs> Yeah. I was I like, they shot in both states. Huh? Yeah. No, <laughs> the, no, duh. Yeah, they shot in that building. <laughs> yeah. They shot in that building, and it was famous for uh, John Lennon getting shot, but that didn't happen until years later, so. The building was cursed because of the movie. Sorry, ah, Maddie is trying to scratch stuff. That's all I had on the Rosemary's Baby. I didn't have much. Like I said, like every single person that had something to do with this movie, Mm -hmm. like, something bad happened to them as a cause of, you know... Well, not directly because... Yeah, I was like, not directly related to the movie at all. (laughs) Because of the curse. Because of the curse, yes. We have Perry's stance. Satan has cursed these movies and Jesus. We can't forget he cursed the guy who played him. Yes. Jim Caviezel. Yes. Jim Caviezel. Another film that is cursed was the Poltergeist trilogy, and I was going to cover that. However, when, when Perry and I... We're discussing of the four big movies, The Omen, Poltergeist, The Exorcist, and Rosemary's Baby. We separated them out to (laughs) Rosemary's Baby and The Omen would be done by Perry, and The Exorcist and Poltergeist trilogy would be done by myself, and I promptly forgot and covered The Omen. So... (laughs) So that's why we have a lot of information about The Omen and The Exorcist, because we both know a lot about both of those films. Yeah. So the Poltergeist trilogy, I can touch on that. There were four actors that died within six years of, the, I believe, the first film coming out. Mm-hmm. And they're all... All four of them are really sad stories. Because <laughs> they were... Well, they were all unexpected to an extent. I mean... Well, three of them were completely unexpected, but one of them was, I mean, it was cancer, so there were two years that he knew, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yes, it was unexpected. But Poltergeist came out in 1982. One of the most famous murders known from these films is the one, is the murder of Dominique Dunn. She was, she was the older sister in the films, and, in the films, I'm sorry, in 
in the one film she was in, and she was murdered the same year the film came out. It was actually the day before Halloween, 1982. Oh, shit. Yeah. She had a relationship with a guy who kind of lost his mind. But John Sweeney was her boyfriend, and they broke up a month before he killed her. And oh. it was when they broke up, someone else was at the house, and he had, like, choked her because someone heard, like, loud gagging noises. And then after that, he had, you know, left the house and everything, but he had choked her in one of the bedrooms. And then the day that he killed her, it was, like I said, about a month after they broke up, and she was practicing with another actor she was practicing with David Packer at her house and she was on a phone call with her friend and somehow John Sweeney got the operator to let him get into the call. I don't know how that happened, but that is what I, I know like back in the day they could, you could do that. You right. Could, like, I'm like, but how do you convince the operator? I guess you could say like, Oh, it's an emergency. I need to talk to this person. Yeah. Maybe. yeah back in the day, good. operators didn't fucking care. Yeah. They'd just be like, <laughs> all you have to do is patch them in. Like, yeah. Let's plug in this. Yeah. Cable. So he got into the call and she told her friend, Oh God, it's Sweeney. Let me get him off the phone. Within 10 minutes, he had showed up at her house, and they were, she wasn't going to let him in, obviously, because she knew he was fucking crazy, and they were arguing through the door, and then eventually she went out on the porch, and the other actor, David, he was still inside the house, and when he had heard, like, screams and a loud thud, he mm-hmm. called the police, and he was told that her house was not in their jurisdiction. He then called one of his friends and was like, hey... If I get killed, John Sweeney is who did it. Right. He's like, yeah, this crazy mofo out here. This guy is out to get me. Yeah. So he he had called his friend, told him that, and then the police did come out to the house, and Dominique had been strangled by John Sweeney in her driveway, and she was she didn't die right there. She I believe she went to the hospital and then died later. From oh, that's sad. Yeah, it's really sad. And she was really young, too. <clears throat> she was... She was 22. Oh, wow. That's super sad. Yeah. She was, like, just starting... She was a baby. Like, her brain just stopped forming a year yeah. before. Yeah. So, that one is really sad. All of them are really sad, obviously. Wait, is that why they tell you not to drink until you're 21? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because your brain's not done forming. Oh, maybe that's what's wrong with me. (laughs) (laughs) The next one is the two, the two actors, the next two were, that died, were Julian Beck and Will Sampson, which they were the crazy preacher and the Native American shaman, respectively. And Julian Beck... He was diagnosed with stomach cancer the year after the movie came out in 1983. Yeah. And so he died from complications of that in 1985. And then Will Sampson, he suffered from scleroderma, which is a chronic condition that affected his heart, his skin, and his lungs. And he had gone from 
was it 260 pounds to 140 pounds? Yes. Yeah. Yes. During his illness. And he had a lot of complications from malnutrition. And he ended right. up having a heart and lung transplant. He died after surgery. It was post-operative kidney failure. And he was only 53. That's sad, too. Mm-hmm. So he... I guess it doesn't matter what age you are. It's still sad when you die. Yeah. And the last one is actually after the third movie, because it was the little girl, Heather O'Rourke. Oh, right. Oh, God. Yeah. So Heather O'Rourke was 12 when she died. And she was a little girl, you know, the one in front of the TV is like, they're here. Yeah. And then in the next one, it was like, they're back. <laughs> But she started exhibiting flu-like symptoms on January 31st, 1988. And then the next morning, she collapsed in her home and was rushed to the hospital. The, she did actually like, suffer cardiac arrest, like die on the way, but they resuscitated her oh, on the way to the okay. hospital. And so she was then, like, they med-flighted her, like, did the helicopter, like, air flight. Yeah. They took her to the children's hospital, and she had a portion of her intestine had ballooned to four inches in diameter. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh. She had a bowel obstruction, which is why she was feeling that and collapsed. Oh, right. So then they had to do an emergency surgery, and she died two hours into the operation. Oh. Yeah. So that one, and that one's so heartbreaking because she, she's a baby. She's just she was 12. so little, I know. Yeah. That is super sad. Yeah, um, and her cause of death was ruled as congenital stenosis of the intestines complicated by septic shock. So, which is because when you have that bowel obstruction, you can get, you know, sepsis and septic shock in your system because your waste is built, like building up. Right. Those were the four deaths that had happened within all within six years of the original film coming out. Mm. And a lot of people say the film was cursed because, unbeknownst to the actors at the time, the skeletons that were supposed to be the a Native right. American graveyard were real skeletons. They weren't prop skeletons. Right. And that <coughs> episode, or that scene... That that scene where she's swimming and all the fucking nasty brown skin. water. Yeah, and all the skeletons are coming out. Those are all real skeletons mm. and all mm -hmm. real bones. And I'm pretty Ooh. sure she's swimming in some kind of blood goop. Yeah. <laughs> Even if it's fake, it's still... Yeah, so she's swimming corn syrup with a real skeleton. <laughs> yeah. Which would be worse? The Wizard of Oz, where your props are asbestos snow. So playing in that and then everyone getting cancer. Or, <laughs> or being a poltergeist playing with real skeletons and getting cursed. Which curse is worse? <laughs> Which curse is worse? Um, let's see. Um... No, I think the asbestos. I think that would probably be worse. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, we're talking about two different time frames. Oh so, yeah. Oh man. Know. And Judy Garland. She had such a tragic life. Oh, oh horrible, 
Horrible. Did you have anything else about the poltergeist? Or poltergeist? You said it right. Okay. The Poltergeist trilogy. That's why you put the. It's just Poltergeist, but you're thinking Okay. The I was like, the? No, that doesn't sound right. Yeah. Yeah, the only thing I I have to add is, like always, we we joke a lot, but we mean no disrespect. Absolutely. Absolutely no disrespect to the people that have lost their lives or that They're, tragedies have happened to them. Yeah, definitely. And also another thing on like kind of a more serious note is because we were talking about Gregory Peck. He had lost his son to suicide a couple of months before The Omen started filming. And there wasn't a note or anything. It was, yeah, he just lost him. And so if you or someone you know is struggling with depression or you ever have thoughts of suicide or harming yourself, you can reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. And it's 1-800-273-8255. They're open 24 hours a day, every day of the week. So if you ever have feeling like that or if you are struggling with, you know, mental illness or depression, which is a mental illness, if you're struggling with anything like that, just reach out to them. They also have a website. So it's never too late to ask for help. Thank you, Lindsay. That was very insightful and uh, very sweet. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Even though I've been rooting for Satan this whole episode. Same, 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 same. same. But thank you so much for listening. And we are so excited to be getting this podcast up and off the feet. Ground? Yep. You yeah, you wouldn't be off the feet. <laughs> the feet would be on, but the feet are off the ground. Yes. Yes. We're getting this pup off the ground. Yeah. And we're going to try to keep up with the schedule of publishing an episode every week. But since we, obviously, this is not a, pro a professionally produced <laughs> podcast. So since it is just us two doing this and we have real lives that we have to work around, we are going to record some of them in advance. So just so you know that, that we are going to attempt to keep up with a weekly schedule. It's just in the beginning we don't have the luxury of <laughs> re keeping up with the weekly, but we can release one weekly for you. I like it. And uh, hopefully, you know, I'll be drinking more and <laughs> uh, we'll be uh, smoking some uh, good shit. <laughs> Tell me about that. We're always and, smoking good shit. Uh, we would love if uh, you would leave us some comments or questions or Yeah, anything. email us at bakedpotatopodcast at gmail.com. And if we got anything wrong, <laughs> we got so much. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> Don't even tell us what we got wrong. Just just compliment us. That's all, that's all we want. So have that half. Have the first half addressed to Perry. And everything you like, be like, Perry, beautiful everything you like. And then everything that was wrong, you'd be like, hey, Lindsay, fix this shit. <laughs> <laughs> so just address it like that. I'm like a bird in that I like to be told that I'm pretty and... You are pretty, though. I regurgitate <laughs> information. <laughs> there you go. 
And also you can follow us on Instagram at Big Potato Podcast. Lindsay, you're pretty too. Oh, thank you, Barry. I just feel bad because you're all like, you are pretty. And I'm well, all because like, you are. And then I'm all like, didn't even say anything. And then I was like, oh my God, Lindsay's pretty too. <laughs> Baby, this face was made for radio. Don't lie. <laughs> <laughs>